You say the game is getting old Monday morning and your coffee's cold Life is not what you want it to be Hello everyone and welcome to A New Direction. My name is Jay Izzo and oh wow, 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 another great show for you. <laughs> I say it every week. It's absolutely true. Uh, you know, great authors, great books. It happens. It's real easy. Anyway, so you're in leadership and you face a crisis. And, and listen, and when we were in, when, when, we, when COVID was going on, we were all facing some sort of a crisis as leaders. I mean, right. all of us were. And, but there's other crises going on post-COVID. Right. If you're in the real residential real estate market, you know, the inventory short, things are tougher. Um, we're seeing people get out of the business. Uh, you just read in the Wall Street Journal, if you're in the commercial market, you know, commercial, uh, commercial is plummeting. If you're in other industries, there's a struggle. And so we, every business at some point or another, let's just, just get this straight. Every business at some point or another is going to face a crisis. I don't care what your organization is, if it's nonprofit, profit, doesn't matter. You're going to face a crisis. Right. Here we go. Look at me or listen to me if you're listening by podcast. What kind of leader are you in a crisis? That's the first question. Second question is this. What kind of leader should you be? Well, Glenn Parker who has done uh, great research during COVID. And of course, he's been on the show. He's talked about a positive influence leader. We talked to him just a few weeks ago. And he comes back with uh, his most recent book called Positive Influence Leadership in a Time of Crisis. We're going to talk to him in just a few minutes because this is going to be one of those shows that you're going to want to take notes. Now, if you are driving, listening to this by podcast, I do not want you taking notes. I want you taking mental notes uh, because we don't want another crisis. Okay, so please don't do that. So we're going to get right to him here in just a second, but let's do what we do every week, right? We are four-part people, physical, mental, emotional, spiritual people. And if we're not working on ourselves in each one of those areas, you know what the truth of the matter is? If you're not growing, you're dying. We don't stay static. We just don't. We, I, had, I have to do my workouts even in heat. Uh, so I have to get up earlier when it's cooler to do, get my workouts in. I, I have to read my books every week. I, I have to watch myself emotionally. I have to watch myself spiritually. I have to be actively participating in my growth every single day. Because if I'm not, it's not just that I'm letting myself down, but I'm letting others around me down by not being the best I can be today in those four areas. So what we do is we have you check in in these four areas. And a scale of one to 10, one being in this area, I'm ugh. And 10 being, woohoo, I couldn't be any better, right? So physically, what we do is we evaluate you. We say, okay, so if you were to say physically, you know, uh, uh, when it comes to eating right, when it comes to uh, when it comes to drinking enough water, getting enough sleep, getting enough exercise, I'd rate myself, scale of 1 to 10, I'd give myself a 5 being average, right? Now, look, if your number is a 3, and you go, hey, Jay, is a 3, honestly, it, okay. Right, don't, first of all, I don't want you to go, I'm a loser, because that's not true. You're not a loser at your starting point. That's where we yeah. build from, okay? Yeah. If you are if you said, well, you know what, I'm pretty good there. I, you know, I was, I've been going to the gym, I've been eating well, I'm getting to sleep, and I'm an eight. Okay, great for you. What can you do to get to an 8.25? Right, see, because we can always, we can always improve, all right? 
All right, so, the set, so that's your first area. That's your first number. Second number is your mental and mental intellectual number, right? Two halves of the brain, right half is creative, left half is logical, right? And when we need to be working both halves, right? And we can't just sit and just take things in and think that somehow we're you know, absorbing knowledge because it's not really the way it works. You have to be an active participant in it. So even if you're listening to a podcast, you know, what are you doing with that information? Okay. So even when you listen to this show, what am I going to do with this? What am I going to do with this information? How am I going to act on it? Right. That's all part of your mental intellectual growth. So on a scale of one to 10, you know, how would you rate yourself mentally intellectually? Okay. That's your second number. Okay. Third number is the emotional number. And listen, uh, I always talk about Daniel Goleman because he just he just is was so good about emotional quotients, emotional intelligence. There's a lot of people though talk about uh, all sorts of things, mindsets like Carol Dweck. If pulled that all together, right? But it comes down to two things: how well are you able to control your emotions under stress and pressure when you're hangry, for instance, right? You know that's hunger and anger, right? And then the second piece is how well are you able to tap into and understand the emotions of others. Uh, I'm going to tell you right now what. Uh, I want to call him Uncle Glenn. I don't know why I want to do that. That's not who he is. Uh, but what Glenn, but Glenn, because I have one. Uh, but what Glenn, but Glenn will tell you is, when you're in crisis, guess what? You really need to know how to tap into and understand the emotions of your people. Right. That's that's so important. Right. And that may mean that you have to enlarge your emotional vocabulary. By the way. So on a scale of one to 10, how would you rate yourself emotionally? Okay, that's your third number. Fourth number, spiritual. Fact of the matter is, you know, when we're in a crisis, what does your spirit of yourself do? Right? You move all the other stuff, right? I mean, how resilient are you? That's spiritual. Yeah. Right? Uh, uh, you know, how well are you able to go in and and control your attitude and your excellence and your effort. It's a spiritual connection. But then, you know, what is it that brings you back to a place of centeredness in the midst of that chaos and in the midst of that crisis? Is it God? Is it nature? Is it something else? Is it meditation? Yes. Is that doing that for you, right? Because you got to take care of yourself. I always say to my clients, my coach clients, here's what I tell them all the time. I say, you know what? I, I, I know you want to help everybody else, but listen, if you don't put on your mask first, you can't help anyone. That's why they say it on the airplane, right? Right? That's exactly. Yeah. So those are the four numbers. Right. I can't be right for others if I'm not right for myself. Abs yeah. Absolutely. See, here, yeah. did you hear Glenn say that again? Right? So here, here's the deal. Those are the four numbers, right? Now, right, those four numbers like the air in the tires your car. If your tire, one tire is too low, you know what's going to happen? The car's going to veer. You're going to have a hard time controlling the car. If all four tires are low, you're going to ruin the car over the course of time. So what we want to do is bring our tires up to the right level so that we can drive that car ourselves smoothly down the road, face what we need to face in the right way, and, and do it with, with resilience and a great attitude and great effort. And, but speaking of somebody who does that all the time is Glenn Parker. He is an internationally recognized workshop facilitator, organizational consultant, and conference speaker in the area of teamwork, collaboration, team meetings, and leadership. Uh, <laughs> he is the author of 16 books, uh, all, titles from all over cross-functional teams, working with allies, enemies, and other strangers, uh, team players, and teamwork. And you know, we talked about positive influence leadership, and now we've got positive influence leadership in a time of crisis. His latest work, uh, which he's done a lot of research on, uh, he's sold more than one million copies 
and his seminal work on team player styles was featured in best-selling CRM video. And as a consultant for more than 40 years, he has helped high-performing teams in hundreds of organizations, including like Novartis, uh, Merck & Company, Bristol-Myers, Squibb, at list goes on and on, and the U.S. Coast Guard, and uh, he is returns to join us here again on the New Direction. So, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome back to a New Direction, and welcome back, uh, my friend, uh, Glenn Parker. Welcome back, Glenn. Thank you very much, Jay. We have, always have a great time. We and, do. Um, don't screw it up this time. <laughs> <laughs> Did I make a mess of it the last time, Glenn? <laughs> <laughs> oh, good for you. Good for you, brother. Uh, that's so awesome. You're so good. Um, he, you know, we, he, 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 so here's the thing, Glenn and I, uh, we, we've only, you know, we've never met in person, first of all, uh, but we really hit it off very well the first time we got together and, and, uh, have gone back and forth with emails and everything else. But here's the thing about him. It, I feel like we've known each other forever, forever because he's so comfortable at poking me. <laughs> what he wants to, which is fun. Um, you, you, you did this research, uh, interviewing yeah. a number of companies, and uh, I guess it was either during or post COVID is when you during. did it, did the interviewing, during. and and you you asked them five basic questions, and then uh, you when you asked them these questions, you found some. You found some things that were quite interesting in regard to how leaders face a crisis, and you incorporated the four leadership, uh, positive influence leaders, um, the support of the teacher, uh, the motivator, and the role model um, back into that. But one of the things that you said right away in the book in chapter one, which is entitled The Elements of an Organizational Crisis, How Positive Influence Leaders Are Tested, and, and I think this is so true, is that rarely do leaders incorporate a crisis or even a mistake into the strategic plan. That's an error, isn't it? <laughs> that we probably need to we probably need to start with right there. Is first of all, we probably should think about that. Yeah, I, I, I and I completely agree. And I, I'm just working on something that um, I, I I want you to know about and and your listeners to know about. I we asked um, everyone that we talked to. Did you do an after action review mm. uh, as COVID receded and you started to go back to work, go back to the office, ramp up again? And the answer always was, well, we did it informally. Mm. Code word for <laughs> we we really didn't do it because there was <laughs> there's so much, it was so they were so anxious something I completely understood to get back to work the, the way it used to be. Mm. Uh, and you, you know, and, uh, and your listeners know that when you finish a project, you look and say, how did we do? What could we have done differently and better, et cetera. So next time, uh, the army's been doing this for years. I mean, the, the yeah. military has been doing this for years. They call it an after action review. The AAR. And I, what I have been um, basically saying, because um, is it too late to do it now? Mm. And, and, and I mean, we have to realize that the COVID cases are rising again. All right. The COVID hospitalizations are rising. Deaths are back sort of in, in the news. Nobody really wants to hear this. 
Um, but wh whatever it is, when you f have a crisis, whether it's the Tylenol crisis that J&J faced uh, years ago, or um, the, the some uh, crisis where we have to get rid of the CEO or, or one of the major players in the organization, somebody's accused of sexual harassment, uh, there's a lawsuit against the organization some kind of bad press, there's a product recall, a whole bunch of different things. Um, we got to look at what we did well, what we didn't. And I'm basically asking the question um, in the, I'm, it's basically an article that's good. That's going to, I'm going to finish it up here and, 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 and put it out shortly. Uh, is it too late to do that? And I'm arguing it's, it's really never too late to do an after action review because most of the time what people said to us, we didn't have a playbook. We didn't have a playbook for this one or basically anyone to deal with a crisis. And we were making it up. We were making it up as we went along. And, you know, these are pretty smart people. So they figured a lot of it, a lot of it out um, on the fly and did, you know, did pretty darn well. But it was also a very, very stressful time, and we can get into some of that and what the reactions were. And and and, and as you know from reading the book, we have um, a lot of personal stories and and quotes that are, you know, frankly, you know, quite dramatic. So, so, uh, so for those of you who don't know what an AAR is, an after action report, it's re it really comes down to three questions: What did we do well? What did we not do so well? And then what can we do better? It, it really comes down to those three questions. You know, how do we improve? And um, it, it and I years ago, uh, I interviewed a Blue Angel on the show, and you know they they fly these planes at such high speeds and they're doing incredible maneuvers, and they do it. They it is a thing where they sit around the table and they literally do an AAR after every single show, after every single practice. It is what they do. And you're right when you say, when you ask them, you know, did you do an AAR? Did you do an after action report? And they go, well, we did it informally. We well, didn't do it because it should, it's supposed to be formal. It's, yeah. it's supposed to be matter of fact, you and I did it uh, after the show. The last time you were on is that, okay, what do you thought went well? What do you think didn't go well? What do you think we could do differently? And we talked about that in, in, in a matter of speaking, but it has to be a formalized thing where you're face to face, not just wandering around the hall and goes, Oh, what you, how'd you think it went? <laughs> well, that's not an, that's not an after action report, but, yeah. it, but the importance of that is because then what that, what they are supposed to do is everybody's taking notes so that what they could do is now, what do I put into action during the next practice? What do I put into action the next time this situation comes in? What is the policy change? What is the system change? What is the process change? that we're going to make as a result of this after action report. Yes. And that's the piece that I think is completely missing. And I think that's what you're saying too. Yes. And that's what I'm trying to fill in the gap here. Cause it's not that difficult. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, it's not really complex science. It's, it's pretty basic facilitation, meeting facilitation, uh, that, that makes this kind of thing happen. Uh, there's some key questions that need to be asked and, you know, I'm going to include that in the article and we can, um, we can make it available when it becomes available 
uh, you know, to your listeners. Um, but um, I, I just, I, I just think it needs to be out there um, because there's going to be a crisis, and and you know, and, and basically, COVID hasn't hasn't really gone away completely, you know. But um, we anyway, we we need to we need to address it. We need to have a plan going forward. Most people said they didn't have a plan. They didn't have even a general crisis management plan um, to to a playbook uh, to um, to guide them, and they realized that that that's something they needed. So we can talk more about that. Sure. Um, by the way, let me give a shout out to Jay Bijou, who is watching the show and gave a shout out. So I need to just give him a shout out because you're watching the show. Thanks for watching, um, as well as many of you are. But he just happened to write in, so thanks for doing that. Uh, in chapter two, you talk about leading a time of crisis, the challenges, and you say there are six leadership challenges. And the first one is the emotional toll on everyone. And I, I don't, I don't think we can emphasize this one enough because regardless of the crisis, whether it was COVID or whether, whatever the crisis is, there is an emotional toll that I believe is often ignored by leadership. Help, help us understand that a little deeper. Yeah. Well, um, the, the emotional toll, I, I, we identified six, as you said, uh, of what were the major challenges, but I, I, I would agree with you that that's, that was number one, because it, it just pressed on everybody, both the leaders and the people in the organiz in, in their organizations. Uh, for example, um, Mitch, who uh, uh, Mitch Rudin, who's the CEO of Seville's, which is a large commercial real estate company based in New York. This is what he said, Jay. My biggest concern was dealing with the mental health of our people while maintaining our positive, upbeat culture in the organization. Mm. My major concern was that yeah. during this crisis. Um, so, and, and on top of it, and he did this, many leaders had to first kind of look at themselves and how they were reacting and how, what, what was the impact on their emotionality during this time. And a lot of them, you know, at first were holding it in. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, oh, I have to be mm -hmm. strong. I, I, you know, people have to see that there's strength at the top of the organization because otherwise they're going to be worried. Right. And a lot of them did that initially because they felt that that was what people wanted. Um, but after a while, they, they opened up and said, you know, I got a family too. I'm worried mm -hmm. that when I go home from work, I might be bringing the, 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 uh, the virus home to my family. Mm -hmm. um, and regardless of where they worked, by the way, this, 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 this was true. So, yeah, so that was a big factor. And then what was happening, of course, was we started up with remote work. Mm -hmm. Everybody was at home. And people, at first, this was, oh, this is going to be so much more relaxing. Mm. You know, I don't have to get that dressed. You know, I can put my feet up. Right. I can, you know, I, I can use, we can use Zoom or the phone or a bunch of other things. And then they realized it was, it was very stressful. You know why? You were available all the time. Mm -hmm. It was a long day. Mm -hmm. People were available. And then when the day finally, work day finally did end, that didn't end the day because 
who else was home? Your children, young children were home from school and trying to learn remotely and parents were trying to figure this stuff out remotely, how to get it to work in the first place and then look at it and say, this math doesn't look like any math that I learned. <laughs> and so they're trying to help their kids and it's a struggle. And quite frankly, quite frankly, a lot of the emotional toll and pressure fell on women because they tended to be the ones that were doing the extra work, t taking care of the household, making sure there was um, all the necessities in the house, as well as being the at-home um, teacher and supporter and emotional support for the children at home. So you had all, he had that going on. So the days got very long and very emotional. We, we tend to forget this, but there was a, a national emotional layer on top of all of this that was going on in the corporate world. And that was the, the, the emotional toll that was associated with the killing of uh, Breonna Taylor and, and George Floyd um, by police in, in, in their, in various cities and the protests that went along with that. There were hundreds of thousands of people in the streets, many of them employees of these very corporations that we're talking about. So that became something that leaders in many organizations had to deal with and they did deal with it. Mm -hmm. And, um, so for example, um, Eric Nordstrom, who's the CEO, obviously, of Nordstrom Clothing Company, he personally got on a plane and flew down to Florida because one of their employees, they felt, were, were being harassed by the police in that town. And so he went down there, met with the employee, met with the police, tried to calm the situation down. So that became, you know, a you know, a leadership responsibility to deal with that. Um, uh, Hans Vestberg, who was the CEO of Verizon, he was very struck by what was going on, and he, in in a video call with all employees of Verizon, this is what he said: "This in talking about these killings, this is not acceptable." This is not acceptable in America. And basically, listen to, he broke down in tears in front of all the employees. So what we, I was saying earlier, after a while, the, you know, the leaders had to say, hey, this is, this is bothering me also. And we had other examples of that, but the emotional toll went up and down among people and among leaders in the organization, regardless of what, where, where and in what industry. His name is Glenn Parker, co-author of the book, Positive Influence, Leadership in a Time of Crisis. You're listening to him here on A New Direction. Hey, uh, folks, whether you're suffering from uh, everyday aches and pains, recovering from injury, surgery, or uh, maybe you're a professional athlete or an athlete who is just looking to improve in how you feel, the elite team at Epic Physical Therapy will provide you with a, with a customized treatment plan that's tailored just for you. Uh, so when you're ready for your epic relief, your epic recovery, your epic results, don't look any further. Go to epicpt.com. That's E-P-I-C-P-T.com. 
wow, I don't know where it happened there. I just kind of stumbled over it. And Linda Craft Team Realtors for more than 38 years. You know what? They've been serving people all over the world. They're helping people transition in life. And you go, how do you do that when you're in real estate? Well, the truth of the matter is, think about it. Every place you've ever lived has been a life transition. And for those 38 plus years, you know what? They've been helpful to uh, make it as smooth, successful as possible. And uh, you know what? That's what they can do for you too. So listen, when you're ready for your next transition, don't look any further. Go to Linda Craft Team Realtors. That's lindacraft.com. L-I-N-D-A-C-R-A-F-T.com. And we're back here on A New Direction with uh, uh, Glenn Parker and uh, his book, Positive Influence, Leadership in a Time of Crisis. Glenn, I, I think what we're going we're gonna to do and, and we're going to need to, because uh, I, I know what people want to know is, okay, um, you know, my crisis is different and I want to be able to go, what am I going to be best at in, in, in crisis, right? And um, one of the things in crisis, you know, the disruption of established routine, the need for clear and consistent messaging, which you really, really hit hard um, in there, uh, the safety and health of employees and customers, the changing nature of the required decisions, and of course, loss of business. And of course, um, you know, we're seeing that in certain industries even right now, not COVID related, but just due to the economical situation that there are some uh, economy things that are going on that are creating some other crises. So, but I'm going to jump ahead into part two, the positive influence leader in time of crisis, because people are going to want to know, what do I need to do? What do I need to do? I'm in a crisis right now. Uh, what do I need to do? So let's talk about um, the supportive positive influence leader in a time of crisis. And, and that's part two, chapter three. So what what can if you're a first of all let's describe the supportive positive influence leader and then let's talk about what they do in times of crisis that can help their people and their business well the supportive leader is is the the one who uh is there for their employees they're saying i got your back i'm here i'm with you uh how can i help for example during during this is what happened during covid with the uh, supportive positive influence leader, they got out there, they walked the floors, they talked to employees, communication became really key uh, with employees. If they worked, everybody was working together. For example, in hospitals, we interviewed CEOs of two hospitals and they, they were walking the floors and they were talking to doctors, they were talking to nurses and they were saying, what do you need? How are you doing? Do you need some time off? Do you need to talk to someone? Mm-hmm. Because we have people here on staff that can help you. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, and by the way, the other key thing for them was not only to say, what do you need and how can I help? And I'm here for you and so on was, and was to also respond. When they, when they said, well, I need this, get it for them or say, look, uh, uh, the N95 masks are on back order and we, we, everybody wants them and we, we're, we're, we're trying to do the best that we can. You need some time off. Okay. That, that, that we, we can arrange that you need to talk to someone that's the case but the the key thing was to have open and honest communication mm-hmm. don't sugarcoat the truth look this is the way the situation is because the worst thing um, and we this was became hit home very dramatically during this 
was to sugarcoat the truth or deny or deceive or not tell. Because what happens is the employees don't hear from you and suddenly they're making stuff up on their own because they're talking to each other and they're looking at social media and they're watching television and they're getting all sorts of ideas and theories and conspiracy theories and you know all kinds of you know crazy ideas are coming their way they need to they need to hear from you so communication got ramped up and should get ramped up during this time well i think though in in a crisis here this is where i think the supportive leader uh, if you're not a supportive i i almost feel like this one gets left out so like you're in a crisis situation i don't care what the crisis is it doesn't matter but when you're in a crisis situation i think sometimes leaders can go into a push mode and so what they could do is they can push where because what they're thinking about is how do i uh how do i keep my business going how do i keep my business profitable how do i keep it moving and so then what happens is they can push and they not they're not realizing that their employees are all feeling the pressure of whatever the crisis is. So if they're going through, if they're going through, uh, you know, uh, you know, right now right. many businesses are going through a tough time, um, and and the employees feel it, right? And then you're adding more pressure to it, versus yeah, no, yeah, e- e- exactly. And um, the smart ones didn't do that. Mm-hmm. They, they were what well, well, we always call being present. They were right. doing their best to be present even when they couldn't be face to face. Right. For a, a great example is is a is Mike Axiotis. He is the CEO of a company that owns 21 Red Robin restaurants. Now, many of those restaurants were closed for periods of time because many of them were in Pennsylvania and Pennsylvania had a real tough shutdown um, requirements, um, or they were open on a limited basis in terms of time, or they had a limited menu, et cetera. And, and it was also possible for Mike to get around to all of those restaurants and he didn't, but he spoke to them on the phone. He would just call up and say, Jay, how are you doing? How are you feeling? What can I tell, what can I help you with? Um, and then the, the other thing, which was really, I, I thought was a great thing. He said, prior to all of this, those 21 restaurants were in competition with each other. They were in competition. And he said, we kind of fostered a lot of this to be number one in sales and in customer satisfaction and all the measures that they had of what makes a top restaurant. And what happened is that during COVID, they started being collaborative because what they would do when they'd get on these calls with Mike, he would ask them what's working. And somebody would come up with an idea for a change in the menu um, or combining some menu items. And the other man, uh, other general managers of the restaurants would say, Hey, that's a pretty good idea. Let me try that. So in the past, they would never share a good idea like that. Now they were sharing it. Everybody was benefiting. The whole organization was benefiting. And he said, we're not going, we're not ever going back to that competitive environment again, because the collaborative one really worked. Mm -hmm. Um, 
Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, I was going to just say the other thing that I think came out of the support of a leader that I thought was something that gets ignored when we're in crisis is showing appreciation and gratitude. Speak to that real quick. Yeah, so uh, there was a lot more of, gee, thank you. Because one of the things that people discovered, Jay, was that um, the employees were a lot smarter than we were giving them credit for. Mm -hmm. Because we were just like in the example that I just gave you with the Red Robin. They they had lots of really good ideas. We just weren't asking them. Mm -hmm. And now we were asking. And we were fine. And by the way, in many cases, um, it was sort of empowerment because we had no choice. Mm -hmm. Because people are out there dealing with customers and nobody was, they were just making up stuff and giving answers and providing service and it was working. Mm. And we were not only that, we were learning from what they were doing. Mm -hmm. And so we, there was a lot more collaboration. There was a lot more uh, communication uh, and that was tough. The communication was tough because they were getting all these conflicting messages. Mm. And so they had to, in many cases, um, deal with the conflicting information and say, look, folks, this is what we, we know now. And this is what we're going to do as a result. But stay tuned because things may change in the future. Now, that was new for many of them mm. to not to not go out there with this is the way it is. And we've studied this and now we're going to put out this new plan. They were very, they were tentative and were pretty comfortable with that. And you know, the employees were okay with that because they realized this was a tough time. And if you were willing to be human and to say, things have changed, we have more information. The CDC has clarified guidelines, the state health department, has put out new guidance for us to follow. Um, so um, it, it, there was a lot more of that. So what happened out of this, that there was, there's some new culture. There's a new, what I call a, creating a great place to work has become a real feature of, a, of all of these organizations. Well, I and, think that could come from any crisis, right? I mean, any crisis yes, can, absolutely. Bring, can bring that to yes. I want to move to the to the teacher positive influence leader in a time of crisis. Um, describe what that is and how did they how do they act or should they act in a time of crisis? Well, the the teacher is somebody that teaches you what you need to know in order to be successful. Mm -hmm. um, whether that be skills or knowledge, or whether that be values or uh, the culture of the organization, what do you need to learn and know and understand and put into play in order to be a, a, a successful leader? Mm -hmm. And that's what many of the people did. They said, okay, let me show you what we're doing. Let me tell you what other people are doing. Mm -hmm. For example, um, there's guidance that came down from the CDC. Well, some of the leaders had to take this complex medical information and translate it into plain English. So they sat down. In fact, the general manager of a Marriott that we interviewed said, I spent a good deal of my time translating complex medical information that came from the CDC 
and that impacted uh, the hospitality industry and translating that to day-to-day language that um, uh, a facilities manager could understand, that a front desk clerk in a hotel could understand. And <clears throat> that's that's the kind of thing that came out of. Well, I think the- one of the things you said here is don't assume that people want to learn, ask. And I, 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 to me, that stood out that regardless of the crisis that you're in as a leader, you know, don't assume that your people want to learn. You, you do need to ask them. I thought that was a really critical thing that you had to say in the book it, practically. Yeah, no, I, I, and I think in my mind, I think that's always been true because um, what, what I've, oh, I've been doing, I, doing training for most of my life, most of my adult life. And it was always based on a needs assessment where we went out and we asked people, what do you want to learn? What do you need to learn in order to be successful? Mm. And they told us because what we know about adult learning is that adults want to learn something practical that you teach them today that they can use tomorrow. They, they don't learn, let learn, want to learn or are motivated to learn something for something future down the road. Mm-hmm. And by the way, some, some young people are wondering, are listening and, and saying, yeah, I kind of feel the same way. Like what, what's calculus going to do me, right. do for me right. now? <laughs> yeah, you've had that question. Oh yeah. Yeah. As, as a, as a former <laughs> college professor, I've had a lot of questions asked me like that. Why are we yeah. not learning this? Yeah. <laughs> so. So, yeah, so um, that's what that's what they, they want to know is how can this help me? And that's what 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 people were learning. They were changing the methodology. Mm-hmm. You know, they were using what we're using here. They were using a uh, Zoom technology and Zoom like technology to um, to teach people what they needed to know. You know, for example, we interviewed the COO of Amtrak and Amtrak, you know, had to teach people what were the new rules and regulations for operating the trains. Mm -hmm. And how do you get to people who are working on trains? Well, one of them, you you use video and you put it up in the station master's Mm -hmm. room and people sit down and learn it and then get on the train and use it. Right. By the way, some interesting stuff about trains, which didn't get a lot of the publicity that airlines got during COVID with people fighting with uh, flight attendants over wearing masks. Um, What uh, the Amtrak folks did, they they said to the onboard personnel, they said, I don't want you, we don't want you fighting with any passenger. Any, a passenger does not want to wear a mask. They can sit there and not wear that. You're not supposed to, you know, pick them up and throw them off the train. What we do, what you do, is you go to other passengers and you say, if you would like to change your seat, I, I, there's some seats in the next car that you can go to. That's the way you handle it. Now, somebody had to teach them that because that's new. That was new. All right, let's move to the motivating positive influence leader in the time of crisis. Uh, Describe that and describe what that leader should be doing, type of leader should be doing in a time of crisis. Yeah, I, I circle back to the idea we talked about empowerment, because one of the things that the motivating leader does is they get people to do things, perhaps 
they hadn't thought they could do. And many of the people discovered, the leaders that we interviewed discovered that their people knew a heck of a lot more than they were giving them credit for. And they were demonstrating that because they had to demonstrate it because they were out there on the front lines dealing with customers. Mm-hmm. Um, so what they learned coming out of that is, you know, they sort of, they, they relearned what I call, you know, I called old wine, new bottle, you know, they, they, <laughs> they, they relearning things and said, you know, that empowerment stuff that we learned about in leadership class, you know, that really does work mm-hmm. because what, what happens also is that you start to build loyalty among employees. Why? Because Jay, when I say to you that I trust you to make the right decision when it comes to our employees and the use of our plant and equipment, then I'm saying something really powerful about you Mm. and our relationship. When I'm saying that I trust you to make the right decision, that's a powerful message. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that, and and I think the last thing was part of that piece before we go into break here is that employee recognition was really important on behalf of the motivating leader. Exactly. No, and that that there were much more of that was ramped up, and people were being and and the motivation, by the way, didn't have to be a plaque. Mm-hmm. It could be, you know, Jay coming up to Glenn and saying thanks. Thanks for the extra effort doing a during a pretty difficult time. Yeah, beautiful. His name is Glenn Parker. The book is entitled Positive Influence, Leadership in a Time of Crisis. You're listening to him here on A New Direction. Hey, folks, uh, Epic Physical Therapy. Listen, I want to just tell you something about that. First of all, they're my physical therapist. I think they should be yours, too. They, they have facilities that offer the most advanced top-of-the-line equipment, like the Alter-G Anti-Gravity Treadmill, the Normatec Compression Sleeves, my favorite, Game Ready. That's just to name a few. They're trained and certified in the most comprehensive cutting-edge treatments available, uh, blood flow restriction therapy, dry needling, cupping, and that's just a few. Listen, when you're looking for your epic relief, epic recovery, epic results, don't look any further. Go to epicpt.com. That's E-P-I-C-P-T.com. And Linda Craft Team Realtors for more than 38 years, helping people all over the world. And you know what they do, though, uh, folks, is they also help their local community. Uh, blood drives. Uh, shredding uh, of documents, um, a, a number of, they do pie day for all their clients where they can kind of get an apple or pumpkin pie, you know, before they go to Thanksgiving and one after another, they're involved with charities. Uh, folks, they're more than just a real estate company. They're part of the community. And if you want to be part of a real estate company that's part of the community, I really recommend Linda Craft Team Realtors. Check them out at lindacraft.com. It's L-I-N-D-A. C-R-A-F-T dot com. Uh, we're back here with uh, Glenn Parker, uh, Positive Influence, Leadership in Time of Crisis. We're back here and, and having a good time with him. Uh, we're going to finish up uh, talking about what this last role model is, and that's the role model of the positive, the role model positive influence leader in a time of crisis. What did, what, what should they be like? Now, now I, before, before you answer that question, I should point out that we're talking about these four types of leaders as if they're distinct. The truth of the matter is you want to become, um, as we talked about in the previous book, Positive Influence Leadership, your goal is to be all four of these, okay? Not just one of them. You're not just to be supportive, not just to be a teacher, not just to be a motivator, 
not just to be a role model, but your goal as a positive influence leader is to adopt all these styles so that you can use them. Um, right. I mean, I, I, I know that's what we talked about. I don't want people to think of, Oh, I'm just this one role model and I'm not the other three. That's not what we're saying here. We're saying what you don't have work on <laughs> if you're not there in the other ones. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, it's not the being, it's being able to use the strengths of all four styles. Mm-hmm. It's situational leadership, right. in which you come across a situation, you say, I, you know, I've been talking to Jay for a while, and my view is the best way to approach him to he- help him be more effective in his work is to whatever that happens to be, whatever it needs, rather than what's my personal preference and what I am most comfortable with. Some cases you have to get, get out of your, get out of your um, comfort zone. And, you know, you asked about the role model. The role model is the person that, you know, we, we look up to and we look to for uh, the, the best way to do it. They're an example of how it's done correctly. Right. And the key, one of the key characteristics of a role model is that they walk the talk. They're consistent. Mm-hmm. They say something and they do things that are in, in sync with that. They don't talk one way and act another way. Right. But one of the key things that I think we, 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 we want to get to uh, as far as leading in a crisis, and that is, um, what 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 did leaders learn mm-hmm. about themselves during this time, and what did they learn? Yeah, they're going to incorporate going forward. Chapter eight. Let's go. One of the, yeah, one of the key things, uh, Jay, is, and a number of them said almost used these same words, which I learned that I didn't always need to be the smartest person in mm. the room. Mm-hmm. You know, and as that, that old saying goes, if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. <laughs> uh, and not only that, but it's sort of a corollary that is, I didn't always need to be the first person mm. to speak up and come up with the answer in a meeting where we're trying to talk about how do we fix this problem. Mm. Um, and that was new for a lot of people, which was, yeah. So more listening, more um, getting other people involved in decision-making, more of that. And less power, um, less yeah. power, less power, more listening. And then yeah. you said that empowerment was salutary. Yes. Many people discovered um, that their people, as I've said earlier, were capable of so much more than they were giving them the opportunity to do. They kind of unknowingly unleashed them because they were out there, as I said. And so, um, and and so they basically said, if we trust people, leaders will emerge within the organization. Will more people will come up, um, and take a chance, take a risk. And that's what we want. We always say we we want risk taking, but in most cases, our actions uh, thwart that uh, w- right. uh, risk taking. So, um, and then you talked about team development is something that they learned out of all this too. 
is that yeah that we're all in this together and that's what i gave you the example of, from the red robin restaurant that was one of the classic examples of that that we're all in this together and things work better when we work together mm. and so um, that was a key thing. But the other thing is that I don't think we should overlook this. We, we don't want to sugarcoat the whole thing. Leading during a crisis is stressful. Mm -hmm. oh, yeah. And many of the people talked about that stress. It was not an easy thing. And some people, I mean, people were kind of brutally honest with us. And I know you as a coach probably experienced that because people oh, yeah. start probably talking to you about it, yep. but they talk to me about it. Listen to this. I, I just want to read some of these quotes from the book because they're pretty dramatic. One of the leaders said to me, he said, Glenn, I took things too personally. Mm. It got to me. I had a heart attack. Mm. I learned from that experience that I need to go more with the flow and empower my staff. I just want you to know I followed up and I've been in touch with this gentleman over time and he's doing fine. So we're, we're good with that. But he, there was a lesson there, not only for him, but for other people. And um, another one in hospitality said, I internalize a lot of stress because I try to be there for everybody. Mm. So I'm taking all this in because I don't want it to impact you. Mm. Um, I felt that people in the organization ex always expected me to be there. Mm. After a while, many of them learned that they would, that, that it was okay to say, I'm stressed out too. This is tough on me and right. tough on my family. Right. Um, and I think people, well, they did, they really appreciated that. Um, the, uh, I had to be positive. This is another quote. I had to be positive in the face of the virus. I had to and did overcome my fear of getting sick and yet go to work every day. Mm. I even surprised myself mm. because people were, you know, yeah, yeah, they were, they were nervous. Mm. I mean, what, one, one of the CEO of one of the hospitals that I talked to, he said to me one day, to this Jay, I, I go out. I'm leaving to go home, and I see, I see one of my nurses in her car, just sitting behind the wheel. And he goes up to him, and he realizes that she's crying uncontrollably, and rolls down the window. And he said, "What's going on?" She said, "I'm, I, I'm, I don't know what to do. I, I want to be there for my team in the hospital." But I'm I'm worried sick that I'm gonna I'm gonna bring this virus home to my family and I he and she said and and my parents live with us and so I'm worried about my my parents uh, who are much older getting this virus as well and so that was the kind of thing that that people were dealing with it was it was a it was a stressful time and a lot of people just opened up and said hey yeah. It's, it's getting to me also. And it was, that was a relief. And I think many of the people in the organization appreciated that level of honesty. Yeah. That makes sense. Oh no, it makes complete sense. We got just a few minutes left and yeah, I, I want to jump to chapter nine real quick, uh, mistakes and miscalculations. 
And uh, you have a couple here that I think it's important that we emphasize. And one is called critical communications. Um, uh, and yeah. that organizations did not have a specific plan in place um, with various aspects of a crisis. And I think that's true is that because communi- communication came up as a theme throughout this book. Um, yeah, I mean, most of them, <clears throat> this is because we didn't, we didn't, we didn't, you know, nobody had done it after, didn't do it after action review and stuff. The, the general thing was there was no crisis management plan in place. People talk about crisis management, but that's mostly what a lot of people did was talk about it. They didn't have a, a plan in place. Um, they didn't, there was no coordination. Some people right. decided we're going to centralize this at the top of the organization. Mm-hmm. And that's what they did because they wanted to be sure that the message that went out was a, was one message. Right. Even if it changed, they wanted to make sure there, there were no outliers that whatever we said we were going to do and how we were going to do it was very under control. And that is something that a number of organizations who took the time to learn from the folks in Taiwan because they had to deal with this in the SARS crisis, they learned that they needed to have a high level coordination of communication. Very, very important. Well, I thought Uh, the other one that was also important here that we didn't talk about was that the changing nature of the required decisions that were having to be made because they didn't have a decision tree for a crisis. Right. And so that, that was miscalculated. Talk about that for a second. Yeah, no. So the, the 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 kind of decisions that needed to be made were unprecedented. You know, right. what do we do about this? Do we send everybody home? Do we work from home? Uh, we've never used Zoom before, right. and some people tried it and had a terrible time with it. Right. They just didn't like it at all, right. and they realized that it what when the, what they thought was working just because they had a Zoom meeting didn't mean it worked in the sense that people got the message, right. you know, because right. two weeks later, the leader would talk to somebody in the organization and they would have no idea what he was talking about. He said, but, but I covered that in the right. zoom meeting. You know why? Cause people very often don't pay attention. <laughs> you know why? Right. They're, they're looking around and you know, I'm reading what it says behind Jay there, you know, and, <laughs> and yeah, right. Don't, don't people, oh, oh no, I, I do Zoom calls all the time. Does he have yeah. on his, what books are on his shelf right. behind him? Right. Uh, and you know what, by the way, you know what I, why I, what I did to address that? All of my interviews were conducted by <laughs> plain old television, the te- telephone service. Mm, interesting. And you know what? I got their complete attention. These were very busy people. And for one hour, I got their complete attention because they were just talking to me. In fact, a couple of them said that to me, Glenn, you know, you have my complete attention right Right. now. That's awesome. (laughs) Right in the middle of this crazy, crazy time. Well, Glenn, we've, we've done our hour. Um, and you've been great as always. Tell people. Yeah. Yeah. I know it goes so fast. I just got started. I know. Tell, tell people how we, how they can get a hold of you. Um, you can reach me, uh, our website is thepositiveinfluenceleader.com. Uh, you can reach me at Glenn, G-L-E-N-N, at thepositiveinfluenceleader.com. Um, the book is available from our publisher, HRD Press. 
So it's hrdpress.com, or of course, where else can you get books? Amazon. Amazon. It's there on Amazon as well. Awesome. So um, I, I encourage you to do that because there's also ways of using the book to do leadership development in your organization. And if you if you contact me, you send me send me an email. I'll tell you because we don't have time now how to use the book to develop a crisis management um, plan going forward. I will put your email address in in the write up of the show the show notes, and um, that way people can contact you and say reach out to Glenn. He'll show you how to apply the assessment and how to do that for your business in crisis. You've been great, Glenn. Stay with me. Hey, folks, you know, it's the show I say to you every week, right? You're in control of three things, your attitude, your effort, and your resiliency. I know circumstances can be tough. You could be in a crisis, but you still have control of those three things, your attitude, your effort, and your resiliency. Take advantage of those because they are at, always at your disposal and you can't control them. I'm going to be back next week with another great show. It's going to be another great guest. It's going to be another great book, too. It's going to be awesome. And you know, I say to you, you have a lot of choices. You chose us. Thank you. Wherever you're watching uh, DBTV live stream, listening to us on radio or on podcast, listen, you know what? Give us a positive five-star review. Give us a thumbs up on, on, on YouTube. We appreciate that too. As I say to you all over the world, you know what that is? And that is ciao. You can find the strength to go a different way, yeah. The time has come. Your dreams will take you places you have never been before. Find your passion, find your strength.